This is Coaching with the Bible, episode 117. Yes, the different opening because I'm standing at a gate at the airport, ready to board a flight back to Israel. And there are a lot of people around. Hello, sir. <laughs> yes, I'm talking to my phone out loud in front of a lot of other people here, but the podcast has no limits, so we have to get it done. This week's portion is the portion of Vayishlach, the famous meeting between Jacob and Esav after many, many years apart. This is season three, episode eight. So you'll forgive me for being slightly subdued in the language and the, sort of the, 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 the volume of the voice and the emotion of the voice as I work through this topic together with you, the topic of fear. One of the famous, most famous quotes around the subject of fear is there is nothing to fear but fear itself. It's a quote from Franklin Delano Roosevelt, former president of the United States. It's a very, very famous quote, and it's often, I think, actually misquoted because there's more to the quote, and we'll get to more of the quote in just a moment. The reason I want to talk about fear, because I think we have danced around fear in a lot of the different issues that we've talked about over the course of time, stress, anxiety, discomfort, all the kinds of different subjects, and at our core, perhaps, is some form of fear. And fear comes up this week, particularly in the portion of the week, because Jacob says it outright, at least the text says it outright, he is afraid. As he's going into this monumentous and monumental, is a better word to say there, uh, meeting, uh, potentially battle with his brother, he is afraid. He is afraid of what's going to happen to him. He's afraid of what's going to happen to his children. He's afraid of what's going to happen to his wives. He's afraid, he's afraid, he's afraid. And every action and every move that he makes is inside of the frame of fear. There's no other way to describe it. Two years ago, admittedly, when I first did this portion, I talked about that Jacob was having a crisis of confidence. I think that's still true, but I'd like to add a slightly different version of that and focus in on fear. And so... The question I would ask you with respect to Jacob in particular, and then more globally, is was it warranted? Were his fears warranted? Where did they come from? What's the source of them? And then in the end, did it play out? Were they unfounded? So it's important to appreciate that they're, in his case, origins to his fear. It's rooted in the notion that the reason he checked out all those years ago and went to the house of Laban was fear for his life. His family feared for his life. His parents feared for his life. And so now the prospect of meeting him all these years later, perhaps without additional information about the life of Esau since, is a fear of a reprisal. Picking up the story exactly where the story left off all those years earlier puts him in a position to be afraid. Feeling that maybe he did do something wrong. Maybe he did steal something from his brother. Maybe he did wrong him in some way. He didn't have the ability to clear that up or clarify that or anything like that. So there's a ton of that fear built into the situation. Also a lack of knowledge about what has transpired in the life of Asaph, what has transpired in the life of his family since then. There's no texting, there's no email, there's no Zoom. So there's no way for him to have checked in, at least it appears, with the family to know what had transpired since where had Asaph gone, who had he married, what is the status of his family itself. And so it's based on the prior experience and simply the mention of the name Esav to Jacob in that moment that he's coming with 400 men 
is the implication that he is up for a battle. And so the question you ask yourself to start with is, is it true? It certainly appears to be true, but is it actually true that that's what's happening? It's not clear that that's actually true. We know the outcome, so maybe the fear of knowledge is our curse here, like, uh, or the curse of knowledge is a problem for us because we know how the story plays out and we can understand where Jacob is in that moment. But it perhaps is unwarranted. Perhaps at no point is Asaph coming to hurt him in any way at all, and other than just to meet him and to close the circle or to show off and say that, oh, my life is amazing and awesome and great and whatever happened to you and wherever you went and all this whole blessing business from all those years ago is old story, finished, gone, forgotten, and I'm past it. All those things are certainly possible. But then every move that Jacob makes, splitting up the camp, praying to God, which he would have probably done anyway, uh, you know, making some sort of a promise in that space, in that moment. Any of those things are operating in the space of fear. Uh, Jacob sleeping in the camp, Jacob sending the gift, Jacob talking about how he's going to act when it is that he comes in front of Asaph, how that's going to all play out, is all operating in the space of fear. His staying over that night by himself, according to one of the commentaries known as Rashbam, shout out to Jeremy Stern for that source a number of years ago, is that Jacob actually intends to flee, because that has been his MO of late, is fleeing in these very uncomfortable, difficult, stressful situations. So maybe he's trying to flee. So when he's in that battle with the angel or battle with the unknown person, According to that commentary, it's to try to keep him in that space. According to what I'm trying to say to you today is that that battle is cosmically on some level, spiritually, Jacob fighting with Jacob and Jacob fighting his fears. Such that when it's over, he's a totally different person. Yes, it it physically impacts him in a negative way that he's now limping. So he's been injured by his fears and probably that's, you can understand that, um, you know, less on the surface level, but on a deeper level, that he's injured by his fears. But when he comes to the actual meeting itself, he's a completely different person. He does not seem to be in any state of fear any longer. He's no longer afraid. He has moved away. And I think it's because in that moment, he has done what Seth Godin, the famous, very well-known author and marketing guru, uh, has said about fear and facing fears that you have to dance with the fear. You can't obliterate it, you can't get rid of it, but you have to dance with it. That's the term that he uses, a very powerful term, and I think it's one to think about here when we think about our own lives and our own fears and the things that are going on around us in our own lives and the things that we're afraid of, the things that bring us into a state of fear. To dance with the fear. For a lot of us in a lot of these different situations, the fear is in the driver's seat and we're maybe a passenger um, in the riding shotgun, but probably we're somewhere in the back seat strapped in without any sort of sense of control. But when you dance with the fear, not obliterate the fear, when you dance with the fear, sort of the way it's explained is that initially perhaps the fear itself is leading the dance. But as you continue to progress, as you begin to continue to learn and to grow and to appreciate what the fear is and how the fear moves and how the fear operates, you begin to take over the dance and you become to lead the dance and you become in charge of the dance. And thereby, you're able to relegate fear to the back seat, to become a backseat driver. The difference between being the at the wheel or backseat driver is at the wheel, you make all the decisions. 
when you're in the back seat, you can yell and scream and say and share all kinds of things, but I, as the driver, don't have to listen anymore. And so it's an important understanding, and that's exactly what seems to be happening with Jacob. He is in this battle with his fear, and it's on some level, as much as it's a fight, on some level it's a dance. Jacob is learning to grapple and to grasp and to appreciate and to understand what is the internal struggle, what's going on within him. Interestingly enough, then, when he asks the, the person for his name, why does he do that? And so in psychology and also in coaching, very powerfully is the naming of the fear. Name it so that you can understand it. Name it so that you can identify it. Name it so that you can begin to try to defeat it. Jacob is seeking out the name of the fear. The interesting part is that it's flipped and that the angel that names Jacob is that one who strives and struggles and fights. So now his, his, what he was most afraid of has now become essentially who he is, what his essence is, what he's going to be. And that sort of fulfills the prophecy of the statement of that we, I thought I had it here. Um, I don't, I can't find the quote. I apologize. It's one of the, one of the negatives of recording a podcast standing live inside an airport. Um, can't get everything done. But that's the sense here of what's going on. So getting the name and getting renamed that way is very powerful. So it's important for us to appreciate what, how the fear works in the case of Jacob and how it works with us. And fear is not something necessarily that we can get rid of. But is this something that we can learn to control, manage, benefit from even so that when the sort of you know, fight or flight or freeze sense comes to us, we can acknowledge what that is, where that's coming from, and why that's happening to us. And maybe we can prepare to be in a situation for it. So essentially, fear is almost like, um, you know, sort of like the red button being pressed. And we're now getting a sense. We have a compass. We have a, a, an acknowledgement. We have an awareness about something that's going on for us. And we can operate perhaps differently than, say, an animal might operate. Operates An animal would operate on instinct in the space of fear. And we can perhaps operate differently. And so as much as there are different kinds of fears, there are rational fears and irrational fears, it's important to appreciate the sense of as to what the kind of fear is. And so in terms of approaching it here this week on fear and understanding what that is, so I did, like I always do, whenever there's an assessment that comes up, I'm always so curious about them. And so there was an assessment here on understanding what I would, what was called my fear archetype. So what, what are, what is like the heart and soul and the core of the things that I'm most afraid of, let's say, and how did that manifest itself for me as a person? Right? Really important and interesting. So there's a website called doitscared.com, which is a way to assess your fear um, archetype. And my fear archetype, among the seven that exist, my fear archetype uh, was the procrastinator. And so my fear, whatever fears that I have, the things that I'm afraid of, um, show up for me in procrastination, let's say. Uh, it's in- interesting to sort of see procrastination in that way. I've always been a procrastinator, but as to why and understanding re- in a deeper level what that is. And so the, for the procrastinator, for me, so sort of pushing through that fear is really just to start. It's a fear of starting, and it manifests itself in procrastination because as long as I don't start, I don't have to worry about perhaps it failing or not succeeding or not being perfect or not being as good as I want it to be and so on. There are other fear archetypes, rule follower, people pleaser, outcast, self-doubter, excuse maker, the pessimist. All those are different kinds of 
fear archetypes, and they're all worth exploring. So that's do it scared. Dot com. But it's really important to just sort of, again, lean in from a process standpoint as to what's going on and how we can uh, talk about this. We're not looking here at the space of phobia. Phobia is a much deeper level of what we're t- uh, uh, of fear. And we're not even necessarily focusing as to where fear comes from, but two you know, sources as to where that comes from um, in terms of in theory and social learning. One is that it's something that's sort of innate, that it's conditioned based on, sorry, not innate, it's conditioned based on um, behavior. So there are things that strike fear into not just humans, but into animals as well. And there's some sort of a conditioned fear that comes into those situations. Heights, snakes, uh, you know, dangerous animals, things like that. On the other hand, there are things that are come through social learning. So a baby or a young child doesn't know fear until they see fear on other people. So when they see it and then they have sort of a and now a built-in response to that experience, not necessarily of their own, but based on what they're seeing from their parents, their siblings. If someone, you know, if a little child says, oh, they saw a snake, the parent might say, and did that make you afraid? So the child might wonder, well, why would that make me afraid? Like, I don't know anything about fear. But now we're creating from social learning the response that, oh, my mother, my father is afraid of snakes, therefore I should be um, afraid as well. So, like that's at the heart and core of that. But now let's talk about the flip side of it. Is okay. As much as people have told me over life that I have to simply get rid of my fears, what we're saying today is, you know, we don't have to get rid of the fears. We have to dance with the fears. We have to dance with the things that we're afraid of, and we have to lean in. And so that's you, you see in a lot of the therapies that exist in the world. You know, CBT, cognitive behavior therapy is in immersion therapies, things like that, where they get you connected and lean in on the things that you're most afraid of so that you can begin to operate. If you hear that voice in the background, that is the call for one of the flights to board, not mine, thankfully, because I'm not done yet. But here, in the space of what we're talking about here, is how do we work with that? How do we do that? So the first thing I think is really important is, as we said before, is to name the fear. What is the thing that I am afraid of? If you want to go into the type, that's fine. But what is the fear here? What's at the core of that fear? How do, I, how do I understand what that is? The second thing is to admit that you're afraid of it. This thing freaks me out. This thing scares me. So if that's for you, starting a business. If that's for you, is getting into a relationship. If that's for you, is ending a relationship. If that's for you, quitting a job. If that's for you, moving. Anything, whatever that is, starting some sort of a program. Acknowledging it. And out loud and saying, I'm afraid of that is power. So you're drawing power away from the fear because the fear exists in your mind. We're not talking about physical dangers. That's a different thing. We're talking about the things that sort of live inside our mind, um, inside our being. So first, again, is naming it. Second is simply establishing and admitting the fact that I'm afraid of it. Third is to sort of see how it manifests itself around me. We talk about this a lot, but really a being observant of ourselves, again, without judgment, but observing of ourselves as to how that comes up, where that shows up, how it makes me feel. Number four, I would look at some of the things that actually don't make me afraid. What are the things that I have no problem doing? I run into them, I rush into them without fear at all. What's the difference between those two? If we're really taking a hard assessment of ourselves in those spaces, I think that can be very powerful and very, very, very moving for us in terms of our growth. Number four, I, talk, I think we should talk about it. One of the things that I noticed with, with Jacob is his fear is his fear. 
he doesn't discuss it with anyone else. No one else, maybe even, they might see it on him. They might experience it from him in that story. But he doesn't talk about it with anybody else. He, he lives it and owns it, and it's in, inside himself, and he's going through it all alone. And when you're going through it all alone, then fear is exceptionally powerful when you're going through it all alone. So sharing it, admitting it to a spouse, to a friend, to a colleague. You know, I'm afraid of failure here in this project. I'm afraid of doing a bad job. I fear, you know, I fear the consequences of what happens here if it doesn't go well. I think that's really powerful. Next, I want to, I want to think about how other people overcome. So if we're being super observant about this, paying attention to the behaviors of other people, then we can also... Um, sorry, if we're paying attention to our own behaviors in other situations, then we can also pay attention to other people who go through this. And we can, if we're comfortable enough or fearless enough to go ask them, then we will ask them, hey, like, you suffer through that. How did you get through that? Like, what are the, what are the things you did to get you through? And maybe I can borrow those from you. I mentioned dancing with it. I mentioned moving it to the back seat. I think it's also important to recognize the excuses. What are the things that I say when I'm in those moments of, you know, fight or flight or freeze? What am I saying? What are the excuses I'm giving? Is it because it's not perfect? So if it's not the procrastinator, it's not. It's never going to be good enough. It's never going to be perfect. I'm not even going to start, right? So it's important to sort of jump into that and appreciate what are the excuses I'm making. And then as I'm trying to go at it, we can't take on the whole thing at the same time. But we do have to decide that we're sick and tired of being afraid. And so if we're okay with it, or we're willing to sort of roll with the fear all the time, then we'll never overcome it. But if we're willing to say, you know, I'm sick of this, but and, and acknowledge that it exists and stay with it in the sense that it's going to stay with me, but I'm simply going to keep rolling, I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to try to win it, and I'm sick and tired of it, then you have a much greater chance of overcoming and persevering and getting to greater success in life and realizing that all the things that we want to accomplish, all the things that we, that we want to do in life are just be on the other side of fear. They are on the other side of fear. So when we talk about that quote from Roosevelt, the actual full quote is this. First of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Obviously, we know that that was in the context of war. But when he talks about it being nameless and unreasoning and unjustified terror, it's because we haven't given it its sense. We have not understood it. And so we just really fear the fear itself. We don't actually understand the fear. We don't have a good sense of what the fear is. And so that's sort of, I think, a recipe for success here with respect to fear. I think that key moment of appreciating what Jacob is doing, that he's dancing, quote-unquote, fighting with the fear, but he's dancing with it, I think is a really powerful way to think about it for our own selves. And let's finish with a quote like we always do. Don't fear failure so much that you refuse to try new things. The saddest summary of a life contains three descriptions, could have, might have, and should have. Let's lean in on our fears. Let's try to live our best lives. Let's try to do the things that we're most afraid to do. And that's Coaching with the Bible for this week, live from Miami International Airport. See you next week from home.